Welcome to another episode of the Defend and Confirm podcast. Yes, You're formerly sh- known as the DC podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm Russell. I'm Sean. And we are going to get back on schedule. Yeah. <laughs> and we're actually going to talk about contemporary critical theory. We're going to finish our critique of the yes. four major tenets of, of critical theory. Yes. This is number four. Yes. Uh, we described previously critical theories... Uh, focus on the hegemony. Mm-hmm. We critique that. Yep. The social binary. Yep. We critique that. Their standpoint epistemology. Yes. And now we're on number four, their emphasis on social justice. Activism. Social activism. Social justice activism. I would like right. it if we could do it in like the stepbrothers kind of way where like we finish each other's... Sandwiches. Exactly. So as we uh, jump in here, let's just start in the most boring place possible with definitions. Okay. What do we mean when we talk about contemporary critical theories focus on social justice activism? Well, maybe we would be best served by clarifying what we don't mean, right? (laughs) Contrast creates clarity. Sometimes we have to kind of knock away some of the the stuff that's getting in the way of the good stuff. So, Russell, what are we not critiquing? We're not critiquing a a biblical concept of justice. Yeah. And so justice in the Bible— uh, it, it's it's an English word that we use to describe at least two words mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Bible, for yeah. example, uh, the Old Testament. But we have uh, we have a concept of justice from Scripture that is God given. Mm-hmm. God defines the terms, mm-hmm. and essentially, what it all boils down to is is doing the right thing. Yeah. In terms of treating people with fairness and equity, yeah, that's impartiality. Right. That's right. And that's that's true in the punitive sense when mm-hmm. you're rendering verdicts and, and judgments about people's uh, criminal or, or ethical behavior. Yeah. And it's true just in the day to day everyday life stuff where God puts certain situations in your path, certain yeah. people in your path, and you do what's morally right. Yeah, and it's even you can even take that a level deeper and say you know you treat people according to what they deserve because they are created in the image and likeness of God, and that has like these massive ramifications. And so. When we talk about biblical justice, which can manifest socially, we yeah. do think that there can be a biblical category called social justice. We think that's a, that it's a, a big, grand, glorious category that all of God's people should pursue and should pursue heartily. And if you don't, you will not adorn the gospel properly. That's right. Amen. Okay, then. <laughs> however, however, comma. <laughs> however, comma. Uh, that is not the critical theory understanding of justice. And, and here we're, we're back where we always end up, uh, separated by a common language. I say boot when I'm talking to an Englishman. He thinks the thing that cowboys... He, I'm referring to the thing that cowboys wear. He's referring to the place where he stores stuff in the back of his car, right? right? They use the word justice. They're referring to one thing. We use the word justice. We're referring to another thing. Yep. Okay, so let me just give you the kind of dictionary definition... It's not from the dictionary, but it's kind of a dictionary definition of, of uh, CCT's understanding of social justice. Okay. Our primary duty... You see that language? There's a modifier there. That, that's, that's religious language. It is. That's, that is what is man's... <laughs> the chief end of man. Chief end yeah. of man. Yeah, exactly. Our primary duty as human beings is to work for the liberation of oppressed groups, either by resisting hegemonic power, we already talked about that, Right, if we ourselves are part of an oppressed group, or by eschewing our power, another word that's commonly used is divest, mm-hmm. right? Eschewing or divesting ourselves of power and standing in solidarity as an ally 
of the oppressed if we are members of the oppressed group, right? So that's from uh, Pat Sawyer, who does a lot of good work in this area. Uh, so basically, um, standing against trying to tear down the power structures of oppression, or if you are part of the power st- structure uh, of oppression, tear yourself down. Okay. Right. But but not so much that you can't use your power as a means of helping those who are being torn down. It's a fine line. It's a whistle, yeah. Okay. And this happens through what has historically been called like the halls of power, Mm -hmm. right? Social justice activism takes place in the sphere of media and educational institutions and the justice system and so on and so forth. That's right. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I'm with you. Clear, clear for our listeners. Anything you want to clarify before we move on? Uh, yeah, it, this may it may be helpful as a primer for this episode to go back and and listen to our series on social justice. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap here. Uh, it's very helpful for understanding why, for example, we might say social justice, mm-hmm. and that term to us would have conceptions of of God's standard of justice applied in a society-wide landscape. Yeah. Whereas uh, the most common use of the term social justice today is actually talking about the redistribution of power and material goods. Yeah, that's right. It's it's through and through it is a Marxist concept. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of that has to do with the way that the English Christian socialists took a very uncommon phrase and, and used it in the advancing of their Marxist agenda. That's right. So for example, if you read some really solid guy from 150 years ago and he uses the word social justice, you'd be like, oh man, my guy, he, he supports social justice. And you're like, yeah, he just didn't mean what you mean when he says that. That's right. Okay. Uh, which down boy, Russell, sorry, it's it's all good. It's all good. Schedule. Uh, Russell, you have talked about extensively in the series that uh, critical theory is a religion, right? That's right. And every religion, um, it's not just uh, uh, full of you know categories of dogmas. It's also telling a story. Absolutely. Right? So the story of Christianity is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Well, the same thing is true for critical theory. It doesn't really have much to say about creation other than maybe most of them are materialists. So. But there's also the fall, which is... Oppression. Oppression. Then there's redemption, and that's where this comes into play, right? This right. emphasis on social justice activism is how in this new religion, capital S social, capital J justice, we bring about all the good, and, and then ultimately this will create restoration. Right. Okay, so that's part of the definition. It's, you just have to understand that. It's, it's very much like, and we've mentioned this before, it's very much like the Muslim concept of jihad. Go is, on. Okay, so Muslim jihad is literally, it means struggle. Yeah. Uh, and we, we hear that term and we immediately think of uh, guys in suicide vests uh, mm-hmm. blowing up their, their neighbors. But, yeah. but the word is much broader than that. And yeah. it is uh, the Muslim concept of trying to actively work in all of the spheres of life That's right. to conform society to Allah's law. That's and it right. is, it's not just a... Wait, did you say Allah's law? Allah's law. Oh, Allah. Allah. His law. His law. Gotcha. Uh, and it's, it's not just, it's not the way Christians would try and see society conformed to God's law. It's actually the means by which they are saved. Yeah. So they are working for their salvation. Yeah. And through their struggle, yeah. uh, they are uh, earning God's favor. Yeah. And that is very similar to the way we hear contemporary critical theorists talk about uh, the virtue in their struggle mm. and the way they, you know, the way they will push people who have sinned or blasphemed against critical theory ideas yeah. to atone for their sins by 
uh, you know, donating money to LGBT groups and uh, joining the struggle and and working in social activism to try yeah. and to try and atone for whatever they did wrong. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. I I think that whatever that is should be segmented and put out as its own little Instagram clip. That's right. Do we have an Instagram still? Uh, if I can find the password to it. Alrighty then. <laughs> so now let's move on to the really exciting stuff. The stuff that's going to get people jumping up and down in their seats. The history oh of this. How how did we get here? How did social justice activism become as prominent as it is? Okay. So I'm going to try to simplify this as much as possible. First, I have to say that a lot of what is called contemporary critical theory, there's like a bunch of different things that fall under that. Colonial theory, queer theory, critical race theory. Uh, one of the critiques that we've heard and that is often leveled against people who are talking about critical theory in the way that we do uh, critically uh, is that they'll say that contemporary critical theory with, with things like critical race theory, it actually doesn't come from the stream of neo-Marxism and the Frankfurt School. It actually comes from a different stream. And there's a sense in which that's right. And there's a sense in which that's actually not right at all. Uh, and I'll try to explain right here. Uh, most of what we know of today as contemporary critical theory flows out of postmodernism. Okay. Postmodern thought. Uh, Russell, tell us what postmodernism is. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be. That's exactly right, dude. <laughs> That's the thing. Postmodernists know that they themselves traffic in obscurity. That's right. The, the, it, me, it's, it's academic nihilism. That's right. There, so there are two main characteristics. Okay. It's a knowledge principle that claims that, that says that all claims to truth are actually cultural constructs that reflect the values of a particular culture and therefore are of no value or validity outside of the culture. Number two, so I'm going to read both of these academic definitions yes. and then we're going to do the funny summary of them. Okay. Number two, it's a political principle that society is organized by the powerful in ways that will perpetuate their power and that those with power are able to determine what a given culture sees as objectively true and morally correct, and that this power is manifested and reinforced by discourses or ways of speaking about things. Mm -hmm. So that's two really convoluted ways of basically saying it's all a bunch of word games. That's right. Well, and so let's let's back up. The first part of that definition okay. is basically saying uh, there's no such thing as truth. That's right. And guess what? That's a truth claim. That's right. So self-defeating. From the beginning, it's self-defeating. Yeah. It's incoherent. Yeah. Uh, the second part of that is where we see the overlap with contemporary critical theory. And classical critical and, and, theory. And classical and critical theory. And we're going to come back to that. Yeah. What, what, what I was going to say is it's interesting because you can actually get sort of different flavors of postmodernists. That's true. Uh, some will disagree with the second mm. part of that definition yeah. and, and so on and so forth. But continue. But, but the heart of postmodernism is that everything is a power struggle nod to Marx, right? Everything is a power struggle. And the way that the people acquire, maintain, perpetuate their power is through language That's and right. dialogue and discourse. So you can't actually ever trust anything that anyone is saying because there's always something underneath. Even if you don't say something, that's saying something. And it's all just a big power grab. That's okay. Right. Now what this is, is an epistemology. Mm -hmm. Russell, can you just remind everybody what epistemology is? It's a fancy word for describing how we know things. Okay. Everybody has one. That's right. Everybody has a concept of how do I know what is true. Yeah. Uh, and that epistemology can vary. Yeah. Uh, but this particular epistemology is in direct competition to the Christian epistemology. Absolutely. Now, 
postmodernism is an entire realm of philosophy that really is just downstream from Marxism and neo-Marxism. Yeah. So when people say, well, actually, it comes from postmodernism, not neo-Marxism. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. If you could do like a chart, it would be like Marxism, neo-Marxism over here. And then you would say, here is their epistemological outflow. That's right. Here's how it develops fully as it kind of goes off and mutates in a corner by itself. It, it's like a big, messy, incestuous family tree. <laughs> yes. And actually, you know, this reminds me of yeah. when we did our talk on the prosperity gospel. It's the, true. The history of prosperity theology, a lot of people will say, oh, it came from the charismatics. Yeah. And the charismatics will say, no, 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 it came from new age yeah. thinking. And then others yeah. will say, no, no, it's the revivalism of the late 1800s. Yeah. And if you really look at it, it's kind of all of them. Yeah. It's it's a it's this messy connection of, of ideas that all sort of came up at the same time. Yeah. And when you mix them together in the right combination, you get prosperity theology. That's right. Contemporary critical theory is no different. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and if you look in some of the critical theory textbooks, you they have like this, you can actually see it on Neil Shinvey's website, a taxonomy of of where critical theory came from. And dude, they trace it all the way back to Isaac Newton and Einstein on one end and these people and Socrates on the other end. And so if you want to trace the development of an idea, you can get as crazy and whacked out as you want to. Uh, there's a quote by Scott Oliphant. He said, all of philosophy is, is really just 2,000 years of well-articulated unbelief. Ooh. And it's almost like, I think he's right, that the unbelieving human mind just sort of spirals around the same set of rebellious ideas throughout history. Wow. And, and you can trace those things out and see all the connections. Yeah. It, it makes this sort of taxonomy tricky. Yeah, and it, it, it might mutate out one way here. and mu But what's really interesting here is that postmodernism, after it kind of goes off, mutates on, it own, on its own, it comes back in and reconnects with neo-Marxism to f form contemporary critical theory. Are you tracking? Tracking. How does that happen, though? Well, postmodern... Magic. <laughs> magic. <laughs> Uh, Postmodernism, de as developed by Michel Foucault and uh, Derrida and others along those lines in the 60s, everyone who was kind of in on it, they, for the most part, knew that it was all just a joke, right? They knew it was all just a bunch of word games that led to a bunch of nihilism and, you know, like, yeah, there is no such thing as truth. And people are saying, that's a truth claim. And they're like, yeah, we know. We don't care. Who cares? Yeah, it's inconsistent. And I still get tenure. <laughs> that's exactly right. I will get this article published, even though it doesn't say anything or mean anything. Um, but, you know, a philosophy like that can't really live very long. It has to mutate. It has to adapt. It has to adjust. Uh, Marx himself said that any philosophic endeavor that didn't produce real change in the world was worthless. Mm. And so along came another generation of scholars that had drunk deeply from the epistemological well or epistemic well of uh, postmodernism, but who weren't content to just kind of play these word games in the back halls of high academia, okay? They're, they're poking postmodernism with a stick and saying, do something. Do something better than That's this, right. right? And part of that is because of... Uh, what's in our DNA as Americans, right? We have uh, uh, a bunch of different things. We have a religion that requires us to move and to do something and take action. We have a history of like we're founded on like I need to, I need to be involved in something. I need to be in the fight, right? So another wave of academics come along who say, okay, we buy this power structure thing, but we don't like the fact that we can't do anything with it. So. Then come the applied theorists. 
the applied theorists are the people who take postmodernism and they say, no, this is not going to be a word game for us. We're going to actually do something with this. And so they come back and they merge it with neo-Marxist philosophy once again. So it's mutated, it's become its own thing, and now it comes back and the two beasts <laughs> reunite to, to become a new beast, which is contemporary critical theory, okay? Now, uh, that goes by a number of different names. It's, it's theory with a capital T, mm -hmm. it's applied theory, it's um, social justice activism scholarship, but you see it not as one main discipline. You see it as a subset of various disciplines. So colonial theory, queer theory, fat theory, gender theory, critical race theory. I don't think they'd call it fat theory, but I know. What <laughs> yeah, what do they, what would they? Body theory, body but, image but, theory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so you have all these different theories, and that is them trying to take this postmodern epistemology and apply it in the world, and that leads to social justice activism and such a strong emphasis on it, okay? Uh, applied theory was what happens when the American religious experience accepted postmodernism but found that it couldn't do anything with it, okay? Mm. So, how has this proliferated? I mean, listen, man, I fully expect that the people who have been listening to the last 10 minutes of this are like, what are you saying? What do those words even mean? The way that you've combined them mean nothing to me, okay? You're just talking about a bunch of gobbledygook, and to that we would say... That's pretty accurate. That's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty accurate. If you think that language and word games are all just to, grabs to, power, uh, to grab power and they don't actually mean anything, then you traffic in obscurity and obf obfuscation and it's just all worthless, okay? Um, but we are saying that this stuff is so dangerous because it's actually made its way into the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. It's part of the air we breathe, right? It's in the ether. Uh, so how did that happen? Mm. Well, here is my illustration for that. And I know that you're going to love this, Russell, because it comes from the movie, your favorite movie, The Devil Wears Prada. All right, continue. Okay. <laughs> Meryl Streep, come on, man. This better pay off. It's, oh, it's going to pay off. So basically, in this movie, the question is, they're, they're, they're talking about this high fashion where these, you know, these anorexic models are walking up and down the runway in these ridiculous outfits. You've seen the pictures, yeah, right? Yep. You know, you can open up fashion magazines and you see something and this is the new wave and you look and this lady's got like baby doll heads all over a dress and you're like, that's not... The, <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see it, right? <laughs> Uh, but Meryl Streep in this movie, she makes the argument that all fashion begins with high fashion. And it's only once something has been established and approved of uh, in high fashion that it slowly begins to trickle its way down through the various levels in the hierarchy of the fashion world, which I don't know anything about, right? But it's almost like dirty water filtering its way down through the sand filter to become clean water. So these crazy, ridiculous, outlandish, peacockish uh, styles eventually make their way down to Gap mm -hmm. and Old Navy and Target. And that's the way it works. And the same thing is true with crazy, wacky ideas in the back halls of academia, right? It starts off as something where you're like, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. This is crazy. But articles keep getting published. People, S students keep coming through the classroom hearing the same lecture. That's right. People get tenure. They can't be fired for their craziness. It's in all of the literature. Grants are given for people to continue to pursue this. Soon it's a consensus. This is just what everyone thinks. That's right. And it took 
about four decades for that to really happen uh, with postmodernism. Mm-hmm. It took about three decades for that to really happen from like the inception of the contemporary critical theory to what it is now. So we would say that like when you hear any number of different catchwords or phrases or you think certain ideas that you think, oh, things th- these are always ideas that have existed. Well, no, actually, they've only very recently come down to you and they've trickled down to you from the madness of the back halls of academia. That's one of the interesting things about discussing contemporary critical theory is, is even that phrase, if we were to talk to someone who is steeped in this stuff, they wouldn't recognize that phrase mm. because they've been taught that the stuff that they think, which is contemporary critical theory ideology, yeah. Yeah. is just the way things are. It's, yeah. They're almost blind to the uh, assumptions that they've adopted uh, because of the way that it's taught. Yeah. It's also really interesting that the postmodern influence on critical theory and that and that symbiotic relationship charges that it's the the hegemony and it's the the oppressors who use language and use truth claims to oppress and to manipulate and to obfuscate. Yeah. Um, when that is so much of what we see from uh, certain parts of the political spectrum today yeah. that are influenced by critical theory. Yeah. Uh, just the very idea that you could call abortion uh, women's health care. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's just a word game. That is, an, is a word In game. order for it's, you to keep power. It's obfuscation by redefinition. Yeah. Uh, and so it's almost it's almost makes you wonder, like, well, are they accusing us of that because they're deflecting from, from doing it themselves? Um, well, actually, I mean, that makes perfect sense. If you read Helen Pluckrose on this, who's not a Christian, but has done a phenomenal job uh, with, the, with scholarly work on these things... She says that the postmodernists, the first generation, they know that everything that they're saying is a bunch of nonsense. They don't care. They just want to get that power. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So they're happy to do all that. Okay. So now, last question, okay? We're going to end on a strong note. We're going to end on a really high we'll note see, here. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, why is a strong emphasis on social justice activism, as understood by CCT, so dangerous? Well, there's some things that we've already talked about. You know, it undermines the gospel, you know, and all these other things. So those are kind of implied. Maybe you would say, Sean, they shouldn't be implied. Say, state them. Well, I have in several episodes. But for this particular episode and this particular critique, uh, I just want to talk about two main concerns. Uh, number one, Christians just being poor stewards. You know, our life is a vapor. God gives us only so much time, so much talent, so much treasure, and he has put us on a mission, right? He's given us a call. He's given us this great commission. We know what we're supposed to do. And if Christians misunderstand what justice is, and and if they misunderstand how justice relates to the gospel and how it relates to the great commission, then they are just going to waste an abundance, just so much time, so much talent, so much treasure on things that are not injustices at all. Okay, or just trying to figure out what is an injustice, right? right? And then my second concern uh, leads out of that, which is, uh, this is much worse, is that if you misunderstand these things and you think that it is your job to pursue this definition of justice in this way, uh, you may actually, if you're wrong, end up creating more injustice. Mm. So you may, with, with all of the good intent in the world, be pursuing justice in creating more injustice in society, which I think, honestly, if you look at the fruit of like CRT, for example, I think you see CRT deepening the fissures 
uh, of race relations in this country. Not, I feel like we were like on a path slowly, surely, not perfectly. A lot of things needed to change, but like things in the country were just over generations getting better and better and better. And and, st- and statistically, that's true. Statistically, that's true. Relationally, that's true. Yep. Uh, and uh, I actually wrote an article where I tried to highlight several of these ways that race relations just are continuing to get better and better. And then I apparently had fallen for the myth of progress. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but critical race theory, I think, is undoing a lot of that. Yes. And I think it's actually putting us back in a position where we're comfortable with all different kinds of new and strange injustices. Well, and we haven't done an episode on critical race theory yet. Yeah. Uh, so we were going to help our listeners think through that yeah. particular uh, branch of this, the yeah. CCT tree a little bit better. Uh, but I, I was going to say my concern of the danger here in social justice activism is... Uh, is disunity. Oh, yeah. So that the church is called to be a just people. We are are called to, uh, when the church scatters, we're called to go live just lives. And in whatever sphere that God has put us in, and in whatever interactions that he gives us with individuals who he puts in our lives. And if we don't have the same definition of what justice is, A, we're not going to be able to do that Mm -hmm. effectively, which gets back to your stewardship. Uh, you know, we're wasting time, treasure, and talent pursuing yeah. things that aren't really justice. Yeah. And two, what happens when you see your brother or sister in the church doing something different than you and mm-hmm. calling it justice? Yeah. Well, now we have a big problem. Uh, and if we're not letting God's word define the standard of what justice is, and we're yeah. letting this other unwor- this other religion define what justice is, and, and and how to pursue it, and how to pursue it, which looks like a a centralized redistribution of material resources and power Mm -hmm. uh, based on a binary scheme and a different epistemology that's non-Christian and and doesn't mesh with the Christian worldview, uh, you're going to create division. And we see that already. We see pastors preaching this this view as if it's biblical uh, because it's emotionally satisfying and they're wasting their time and their talent and their treasure and creating division. It's a serious problem. Yeah, it really is. It really is. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of the gender wage gap, which you talked about before. If you think that that's real, that it still exists today, and you go about trying to rectify that injustice, uh, I'm, for those who are listening, I did the air quotes, uh, you're probably going to create all different other kinds of injustice by yeah. trying to fix a problem that's not actually there, that's right? right? And the same thing is true. It's going to happen in the church. Yeah, it's just not good. So... Um, Social justice activism. We're not against social justice. We're not against justice. We're not against activism, right? We are for these things, rightly defined and rightly practiced, and we just think that God's word needs to be our standard and how we pursue that. And we do yeah. think it's sufficient. We don't think it says everything that could possibly need to be said about these things. We are willing to consider resources that help us think more thoughtfully and carefully, but we don't want to consider resources from people who believe the exact opposite of us about everything that really matters in order to have a good discussion. That's right. And uh, in closing, go back and listen to our episode on social justice uh, yeah. from uh, about a year ago. This is a little booster pack to that one. Yeah. Uh, this will be a helpful addition to sort of update that discussion. But we really dig into the definition of justice yeah. and how Christians ought to think about justice uh, in those episodes. Yeah. Signing off. I'm Sean. I'm Russell. Thanks for listening. Remember to follow us on iTunes and Podbean, whatever podcatcher you use. We're on uh, Amazon Music. Uh, And also, this is a video podcast, so you get to watch our faces if you get on Facebook or YouTube and follow us. Uh, And if you're not, you're missing out. Missing out big time. All All right. right. Thanks for listening.